The following sermon is from Grace Church East County. More information about Grace Church is available at gracechurcheast.org. Today we want to talk about a, a foundational practice that forms followers of Jesus called Sabbath. And I confess to you, I've never in 25 years taught on Sabbath, so maybe there's a bit of repentance on my part as well. I wanted to highlight some books that have been helping me in this regard. One is by Guy Waters, The Sabbath as Rest and Hope for the People of God. And I'm going to send you these links this week, so if you have interest. This is a great one as a theological introduction. He covers the whole Bible in a brief fashion to think about this topic. A, a really accessible, nice, easy, helpful read is by Adam Mabry, The Art of Rest. We gave this to all of our leaders, actually. The Art of Rest, we want our leaders resting, we want you resting. The Art of Rest, very helpful and accessible. And then one other, Dan Allender has written a book called Sabbath. And his focus here is really on the delight aspect of Sabbath. So if you want to study that delight aspect in particular, this is a good book to do so. They don't all agree on every single point, but I found them helpful. Mindy's going to pray for us and read our beginning passage today. Father God, we invite you here. We're so grateful that we can, that we can meet and that we can invite you here and know that you are here and that you are with us, and that um, you dwell in us, Lord. And we, we pray that you would speak to us through your word, um, that you would be blessed by our fellowship, and um, we just give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So from Genesis 2, 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Mindy. Author William Faulkner once said, writing a novel is like building a chicken coop in strong wind. You grab any board as it flies by, and you nail it down. Kind of like that imagery. Writing a novel, you said, is like building a chicken coop in strong wind. You grab any board that flies by, and you try to nail it down. Isn't that how life is sometimes as well? Does your life feel like that right now in ways? The demands of work caring for the kids, or the chores, and never-ending laundry or cooking or cleaning or grocery shopping or home maintenance. And it feels like you're living in a strong wind and you're doing your best just to nail some stuff down. Is that you right now? Or maybe more emotionally or, or mentally you can relate to that. You hear the the pharaohs of our culture, and maybe your own inner pharaoh in your heart demanding you work and work and work and make bricks without straw. And we live in this nonstop, 24-7 world, always reachable by our cell phones. 
emails and texts always demanding an immediate response. Adam Mabry, in his book, describes it like this. He says, busy, busy in our world. Busy is compulsory. If you're busy, you're important. And if you're important, you feel good about yourself. That's often the gospel, the good news we can believe today. The gospel of productivity, the gospel of efficiency, calling for precise time management and deliberate multitasking and promising the salvation of getting more done, more accomplishments achieved, more tasks completed. But where does that gospel leave us? Usually, weary, eventually exhausted, burdened, and burned out, or anxious and fearful. And so I ask you, is that God's good intention for our lives? Is that God's good intention? Just trying to nail stuff down? As the boards fly by in a strong wind, is that, is that the effect of the good news of Jesus in our lives? Well, I hope you're anticipating that the answer is no. That our God is not like the pharaohs of the culture or the pharaohs of our heart demanding you work constantly. Instead, our God holds out to you a gift a weekly reset button called Sabbath. And I'd like to think with you about that concept, maybe from two angles or two aspects, theology and practice. So let's consider first a brief theology of Sabbath, a brief theology of Sabbath. In Genesis chapter 1, Before what Mindy read to us, in Genesis 1, God describes his creative work in this six-day structure and, in effect, reflecting the kind of work week he has designed for us. And so we come to the passage Mindy read, chapter 2, verse 1, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them, and on the seventh day, on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So after creating from nothing, now on this seventh day, God rested. And notice verse 3. So God blessed the seventh day. To this point in Genesis, God has blessed the birds. He's blessed the sea creatures. He's blessed the first humans, Adam and Eve. Now he blesses a day in this seven-day structure. And he made it holy. He he set it apart. He, He marks it out as distinct. God sets apart a period of time. Because, here's the reason, on it, God 
rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now, the Hebrew word translated there, rested, is related to the word Sabbath. The two words have the same root. So, although Sabbath doesn't appear explicitly here, the idea is implied. And this word rest basically means stop, (laughs) cease. It's having an activity no longer continue, as one Hebrew dictionary puts it. Having an activity that no longer continues. Now, God doesn't need rest. He is all-powerful. He doesn't get tired. But he is ceasing from his creative work that he was doing as a pattern he has revealed to us and for us. And for us. So Sabbath is, we're going to see this idea of stopping, of ceasing normal life. And that, friends, that activity, as we reflect this pattern in Genesis, that stopping, that ceasing has a formative or can have a formative effect on our lives. For instance, Sabbath shows up next in the Bible in Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16 is about manna, that bread-like substance that sustained Israel through the wilderness. Well, in these instructions in Exodus 16, on days one through five of the week, they were to gather just enough for that day, their daily bread. If they gathered extra, it would grow worms and it would stink, it would smell. But the sixth day, God says here, is different. On the sixth day, they would gather enough for two days. Sixth day and seventh day. And so we read in verse 24. They laid it aside, the manna, till morning, as Moses commanded them. And it did not stink. And there were no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. To the Lord. Today you will not find it, the manna in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. So catch what's happening here. God doubles the amount of manna on the sixth day and then preserves it for the seventh day. The lesson God was teaching his people Well, he is faithful to provide. He is faithful to provide. You can trust God. Sabbath forms us that way as an act of trust. We trust that God is faithful to provide. And then next we come to Exodus 20 in the Ten Commandments. Very important passage, much we could say that we don't have time to say today. We will preach from the Ten Commandments in the next calendar year. However, here in Exodus 20, verse 8, we read, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Remember, God has said it's holy, set apart. So now, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy 
Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord, to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, or your male servant, female servant, your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gate. So it's this day to keep holy, as it were, set apart, worshiping God, enjoying God. It's to the Lord. But now notice why. Notice why the reason in verse 11. For, it says, in six days the Lord made heaven and earth. From Genesis. The sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, People debate whether or not this particular command of the Ten Commandments has direct application for Christians today, and we're not going to resolve that debate today. I lean toward myself talking about a Sabbath rhythm in our lives, a little less about an exact, precise obedience, and yet this is in the top 10, so that does matter. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I don't think there's a massive difference because the command here is rooted in what? In creation. In other words, Sabbath is woven into how we are made. You might say that the need for rest is embedded in our DNA. The question of, is Sabbath commanded today? Is kind of like, is breathing commanded today? We are created with a need to breathe, aren't we? I don't think it matters to you if you're commanded to breathe or not. You need to breathe. And Sabbath, at a minimum, is like that. We are created to need rest. John Mark Comer has a helpful picture of this. He describes, he describes living without Sabbath rest in our lives as living against the grain. Imagine a, a piece of wood, and it's got a, a grain to it, kind of a direction to it, and and. People who know things about wood would tell me, I think, that cutting along the grain is a lot easier than cutting against the grain. And living without Sabbath rest in our lives is kind of like living against the grain of how we're made. So this too forms us, friends. Through Sabbath, we acknowledge something. Through Sabbath, we acknowledge I am not God. I am dependent on God. Through Sabbath, we say, I am not self-existent. Thank you very much. Another vital, formative lesson. And then fast forward a little bit in the Old Testament. God's law is reiterated after the Exodus, which we're going to study after the Exodus, God reiterates his law to the next generation in the book of Deuteronomy. So in Deuteronomy 5, we find the Ten Commandments again, but there is a different rationale for Sabbath in Deuteronomy 5, verse 15. 
It says, you shall remember that you were a slave, a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm by his power. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Isn't that interesting? Now the command is not rooted in creation, but in redemption. You were a slave in Egypt. God redeemed you. God freed you. And in a similar or analogous way, in an analogous way, Sabbath forms us today as a statement of redemption. That we've been freed in Christ from slavery to sin, the ultimate exodus. Jesus is our master. Jesus is our Lord. We will not be mastered by anything else. Again, the pharaohs of our culture or the inner pharaoh of our hearts saying work, work, work can be silenced. And this holy set-apart day to the Lord, to the Lord, of course, was thus an important day of worship for Israel. In fact, as you see in the life of Jesus, as we turn to the New Testament, we see Jesus beginning his public ministry in his hometown of Nazareth, doing what? On the Sabbath, going to the synagogue. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. It says, and he, Jesus, came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And as was his custom, as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. Isn't that fascinating? Jesus' custom is gathering with God's people on the Sabbath. And on that particular day, he unrolled the scroll of Isaiah to where it says of the Messiah, proclaiming liberty to the captives, freedom, our exodus. But you might be very aware that the Sabbath day becomes a real point of controversy in Jesus's ministry particularly with the Pharisees, a group of people known as the Pharisees. The Pharisees sought basically to purify things, but the way they sought to do that was to create laws around God's law. So they made their own laws to kind of fence in God's law. So when Jesus' disciples are hungry and need to eat, and they pluck some grain on the Sabbath to eat and sustain themselves. The Pharisees are not happy. And Jesus says, look, your rules are blinding you to God's intent. And then he says something very profound in Mark chapter 2. In Mark chapter 2, he says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for Sabbath. So the Son of Man, Jesus, is Lord, even of the Sabbath. 
That's a wonderful claim to deity. <laughs> He's saying, I get to determine what God's true intent is. But notice the statement prior, the Sabbath was made for man, a gift for us, not a demand from you, a gift to you, a blessing for you. So Sabbath would form us then, wouldn't it, as an expression of God's grace, a gift from his hand. And then one more thing to notice here. With the coming of Christ, this idea of Sabbath rest, it starts to expand. There's a kind of upward trajectory for this idea of Sabbath Rest. I mean, certainly you find Jesus saying in Matthew 11, come to me, find rest for your souls, right? There's some spiritual rest Jesus holds out to us. But certainly in Hebrews chapter 4, one last stop, Hebrews chapter 4, we see this teaching. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his. Let us therefore, and this is odd, strive, strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. In context, in context, the disobedience of unbelief, denying the good news of the gospel. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, a spiritual rest, one that we enter into by faith, by believing the good news of our Savior, by turning away from our own works, as it were, and resting on his work. You see, Sabbath finds an ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ. It points to a rest now and a future heavenly, eternal rest to come, feasting with Jesus. I like how Guy Waters says it. He says, Sabbath is a weekly reminder that in Christ, the best is yet to come. Oh, man, don't you need a weekly reminder through the troubles and trials and difficulties, fatigue and weariness? The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. That's what we're talking about. The best is yet to come. Sabbath forms us by pointing us to this spiritual rest in Jesus now and eternal rest with him. So, so with the resurrection of our Savior and the ushering in of the first taste of that new creation, the early church does what? It says, let's, gonna, let's make the Sabbath day of worship no longer the seventh day, but the first day of the week, Sunday, the day Jesus rose, the day John in the book of Revelation calls the Lord's Day, right? The Lord's Day, a day belonging particularly to him. Now, that is a 30,000-foot, 85-mile-an-hour, I guess that doesn't work. You get my point. Mixing metaphors shouldn't do that. 
summary, let's just review briefly an attempt at this summary. Sabbath is rooted in creation. It's a day of rest per God's pattern. A day set apart as holy, the implication is for worship. A day given as a gift for your delight. You just go back one more, Abigail. So catch these purposes, rest, worship, delight. I want you to take those away. Rest, worship, delight. Sabbath rooted in creation. Next slide. Sabbath, as we're also seeing, is rooted in redemption. Jesus provides the ultimate rest, rest for our souls, rest from our works, a future eternal rest. The best is yet to come. Friends, these realities are formative. They are, or it is rather, an act of trust. Sabbath is an act of trusting that God is faithful. It is an act of acknowledging that we are not God, but we are dependent. It is a statement about redemption, that we've been freed from our slavery and expression of grace as a gift. It points us to rest now in Jesus and rest forever with our Savior. So, what might that look like? I hope that starts to convince you and me of the blessing God has for us. What what might that look like? Let's think about, secondly, a practice. Secondly, a practice of Sabbath. And here's what I want to say about this. The most important question is not when or how. The most important question about a practice is not when, Saturday, Sunday, whatever day, how long, or how. I don't want you or me indulging our inner Pharisee, concerned that you get Sabbath just right, or you might be sinning in your practice. Although, if we Never stop, never cease. Sin might be involved in our hearts. If work takes over our lives, that could be the sin of self-sufficiency. Or we could be working and working out of an anxious sense of fear instead of trust. Or we could make work an, an idol we worship or accomplishment an idol we worship. I, I confess to you, I'm a, I'm a Sabbath newbie. I'm a Sabbath practitioner in process. Until very recently, I'd say, I have typically answered my church emails on my day off, which is kind of my Sabbath. I don't believe answering email on the day off is sinful the reason in my heart was problematic. I think there was a motive of, you know, if I respond to Steve on my day off, I would really look diligent. If I got that email response out to Dan, well, I might impress Dan. If I was able to respond to uh, Rick or Marshall on a Monday on my day off, they would know I was really on the ball 
As Adam Mabry put it, if you're busy, you're important, and you can feel good about yourself. Can you relate? Never resting from the demands of work or the laundry or the cleaning or whatever. So friends, beware your inner Pharisee that can make this blessing into a burden. And beware your inner Pharaoh demanding you work and work and work and work. Dan Allender, in his book, he says, the proud, exhausted work addict believes he can cheat the fate of Sisyphus, that Greek mythological figure who was condemned to an act of futility, rolling a big boulder up a hill always, always, always until it would tumble back down the hill and he had to start over again forever. The work addict, he says, the proud, exhausted work addict believes he or she can cheat the fate of Sisyphus, but that boulder will roll back down. We're just obeying that inner Pharaoh. When Sabbath says for the Christian, I'm no longer a slave. So when it comes to the practice of Sabbath, I would submit to you the most important question is not when or how, but why. Why? Remember the why? It was rest. It was worship. It was delight. Rest and worship and delight. So here's the application. I'm going to solve all your Sabbath questions. Let the why guide you. Let the why be your guide in your life, in your practice. Let the why guide you. We want you as elders to feel freedom here. If you've been listening with just a sense of tension or something, please hear me. We want you to feel a sense of freedom. There should be freedom in Christ to develop your own practice. We're all in different situations and circumstances. What this looks like for a student is going to be very different than what it looks like for a retiree or a parent of small children or someone in middle age like me. We can't just cookie cutter this. You've got to figure out for yourself what the why is going to look like for rest and worship and delight. And we're asking all of our home group leaders over time, beginning this fall, over time, that this would be a point of conversation among us and you know, watch a little material just to help have, have uh, help for each other to think about the why in our own lives and get some suggestions and ideas. But we want you to feel that freedom. But we'd also encourage you to be intentional, friends. Intentional to find a Sabbath rhythm in your life. Might include, might be that your rhythm includes worshiping with God's people on the Lord's Day. I think that's a great Sabbath practice. It might be gathering with friends or gathering with your home group and feasting together, fellowshipping together. Great Sabbath practices. I I love how Eugene Peterson puts it 
He says, Sabbath is a day of praying and playing. That's memorable and helpful, isn't it? Sabbath, he says, is a day of praying and playing. Who doesn't want to do that? Dan Allender is more specific here. He writes, the Sabbath is a feast day that remembers our leisure in Eden and anticipates our play, our play in the new heavens and new earth with family, friends, and strangers for the sake of the glory of God. Let the why be your guide. Rest, worship, delight, praying and playing and feasting. For me, just as an example, for me, I'm using Mondays as my Sabbath day, and basically I get up and read my Bible and take a leisurely walk to pray, and then Sung and I go for a swim. We like to swim together at the YMCA. We often will go out to lunch together, and then you might find us walking on the beach somewhere, and then I'm very devoted to my Monday afternoon nap, and we might have a relaxing dinner together. Nothing fancy. I think the next step for me, be totally frank, is less, less leisure in the form of scrolling and more in the form of just reading a good book or something like that. Less digital, more analog. It's going to look different for you. When my wife's family immigrated here, her mother and father worked seven days a week for years to survive. When I started dating Sung, they were working seven days a week to survive. That might be your situation or something like that. And help us to care for you, please. Parents of young children, life doesn't stop for you either, does it? As you care for your precious little ones. My, my only advice in those kinds of circumstances is, number one, be aware that you need rest. And number two, ask God what a doable rhythm might look like at this time. That's the best I think I can do. The goal is to be further formed, friends, further formed as followers of Jesus with a healthy Sabbath rhythm of some kind. Now, I want you to hear from a couple people that have been benefiting from this practice. So Lindsay and Joe are going to come up and share with us a little bit. I want to welcome Lindsay and Joe as they come. Welcome, Helmers. Thanks for sharing. Hand this off to whomever likes it or wants it. Tell us, how did you, or why rather, why did you start this practice? Um, well, we got started because while I was pregnant with Evie, I was beginning, so six years ago, I was beginning to become increasingly aware that I don't have the effectiveness to like hold up the sky and make all the things happen. And I was beginning to really feel weary and felt like the Lord gave me the name for the baby, um, but then it was a girl. And so we went with Evelyn. But then the next one was a boy. And so we named him Noah, which means rest which if you've met our Noah is a little bit ironic. Um, or it's an opportunity for me to hear the Lord mm. inviting me to rest every time I'm saying his name, which is a lot of times every day. 
Um, so I was thinking about that, and then COVID was came and you know kind of shut down the world. And um, I was reading a book about Sabbath that I wouldn't recommend because it was far more prescriptive um, in terms of like what your practice should look like. Um, but it was just like a whole new idea, and so I took it to Joe just. Not even like, hey, can we do this? But just like, hey, this crazy lady, like listen to all these things. And, and he was more down than I thought he would be. So, so we were like, well, yeah, we could kind of try that. Um, yeah, and it's been evolving ever since. Yeah, so I just, uh, you know, from my background, it's very, uh, I like the prescription. Uh, it's, uh, I like to have guard rails. So it's, you know, so... I wasn't necessarily, I, I, I thought it was a good idea to do it. I wasn't sure how to do it or what we were going to do or what it was going to look like for us. But we just decided to step forward and, and try to figure it out and set up some ground rules and change the ground rules and adjust and that continues. Yeah. Well, tell us, how have you benefited, would you say? For me, it's, uh, it's still definitely a work in progress. Um, you know, I try... Going back to my prescriptive nature, I try to set up the rules and then deviate from the rules and then update what I do. And what I, I think they, what you mentioned about the why is, is, is critical for me. And the why changes from week to week. Mm. And it depends on how I'm feeling. Some weeks, I won't, I'm more than willing to help, go, help people go move or do anything else. Some, some weeks, I don't even want to drive across the town. So, um, you know, it's really, it really depends. And I think that, uh, that's, the, that's the beauty of it for us that we're doing. But it's also a little scary for me. But, you know, I try to, I try to look, do lots of inward soul searching, which I think is a benefit, right? Where, where is my heart? You know, I say there are certain things that don't really feel like work to me, but... Is it really, is, is it an accomplishment or is it, you know, what am I doing? And I really have to examine my heart a little bit more than I did before. And I think, I think that's, to me, that's, that's a real benefit. Mm -hmm. So the actual, so far, the actual rest doesn't seem to actually be much of a thing uh, for some of the, the things you mentioned about little kids and everything else. And, but, you know, I think, you know, I concentrate on making it holy to the Lord you know, so whatever I do. And, and interestingly enough, I think that kind of starts carrying out through the week. Excellent. Right? You know, because it's like you, once you start kind of getting a rhythm of trying to think that way, then it, it becomes hard not to think that way. So you start, you know, some of those, those feelings and the thing about making things holy for the Lord kind of like starts suffuses, suffusing your life. So anyway, that's some of the benefits I feel. Helpful, Joe. Yeah, I would agree that there's... A benefit and like an anchoring effect in the week like um you know there are definitely days like on wednesday or thursday when monday to wednesday for me is really really busy so like by wednesday evening i'm like oh it's almost friday <laughs> it's coming because we we do ours from friday sunset to saturday sunset um so yeah it, there's it, it's helpful you know when you get in those really ultra busy seasons where like you kind of go for like a run of 10 days and you don't even know what day it is anymore and like you wake up kind of confused this is helpful with that um for that anchoring effect but to joe's point about like introspection and checking your heart and stuff i have found uh, that this practice has been so useful for my personal growth um in outing my inner pharisee i am a firstborn daughter 
um, from a long line of strong-willed and effective women, we get a lot done. And, and man, my inner Pharisee and my inner Pharaoh, they have a lot to say. And mm. so like when we started, it was funny. There would be little things like I left some dishes in the sink and now it's Friday night and I'm like, ah, I don't have to do those dishes. And then Joe does the dishes and I would just feel this like spiritual rage, like like his doing what to me would be work was an indictment of me not getting my work done. And that was like robbing me of my, my rest, you know? And, and I had to wrestle with the Lord about that, that like, I don't need to, I don't need to Holy Spirit him. Yeah. And also yeah. what he does is not an indictment of me, you know? And so right. I think the biggest thing has been, as you talked about, like the inner Pharaoh, seeing Sabbath more and more as an act of defiance and rebellion against slavery, like, nope. I don't get to sit down because I finished my work. I get to sit down and rest in the middle of work because Jesus finished my work. And, and you can't make me do that laundry today, Amen. you know, because um, so, it'll still be there. And so, you know, we, we practice this act of, def I practice this act of defiance every time I walk past that laundry basket on a Saturday. Like, you're not the boss of me, you know, you don't, you don't have any power here. Um, and to your point about... Uh, Sabbath being anchored not just in redemption but in creation, it is, again, just really helpful to me to be reminded every week, like, God is powerful and sovereign, and he has enough resources and the cattle on a thousand hills, and he gets stuff done, and so it is practicing my smallness and my creatureliness mm. to obey and and just yeah. rest and be still and trust that there's more time and, and that he's sovereign over all that. Amen. So, yeah. Any uh, last thoughts on um, Sabbath rest with precious little ones that you're caring for in the house? Uh, divide and conquer. That's, <laughs> that's, that's good. That's the only way like you're going to do. That's the, you're only old. And uh, you rely upon uh, family. There you go. <laughs> that works well. <laughs> See, I wrote things down because I was worried that I would forget. But weary moms... This is for us. We right, need this. Um, like at best, like a really good Sabbath is refreshing and refueling and it refills my cup and I'm ready to go for another week. But at worst, a Sabbath that like doesn't go awesome and I don't feel rested afterwards. You guys, we're still modeling for our small children mm, what good. it looks like to be free in Christ. Good. You know, we're, we're that they hopefully in a generation can like carry that forward. I don't want my daughter to be a slave, yeah. you know? Um, and so if I model my freedom for her, even if I don't do it well, um, I think that that's really important. Um, and again, I think that there's been some like huge spiritual growth for me in this because, you know, mom work doesn't stop. You gotta feed your donkeys on the Sabbath, right? And um, yeah, so again, there was some resentment that I that the Lord just used this to uncover for me against Joe, where it was like, well, that's nice that your work stops at, you know, three o'clock on Friday. I'm still going until bedtime, you know? And so he, like, really has helped me in that, with that resentment. He helped me with the resentment toward my children specifically, and in that I had come to a place of looking at them as work primarily and not as you know, these little image bearers that I have stewardship over, and, and that still totally creeps in. But, sure. um, but yeah, just once that was uncovered, he could begin to adjust my heart that I see my children as labor. Mm. Um, yeah, and then also uh, just once more toward myself as you know, taskmaster, that I'd, I'd be grumbling to, my, to myself about work that I still have to do. Um, and you know, there are certain 
tangible, tangible practices you can do to reduce the actual labor of parenting on a Sabbath. But, um, but yeah, like it's for play. It's for family. It's, Good. you know, it, yeah. So Helpful. feeding my children, just like feeding my dogs, is just a thing that has to happen. And, yep. you know, and that's not work. You know, right. and, and the Pharisee in my heart would call that work. So. Oh, well said. Thank you both so much. Yeah. Really appreciate you letting us learn from you. Thank you. Can I? Yes, of course, of course. I'm sorry, one last thing. I told you there was a book I would not recommend. This is a book I would recommend. I, I do not read nonfiction, so I've been reading it for like a year and I'm halfway through it. Um, I read it on the Sabbath, which makes it special. Um, but it's called The Rest of God by Mark Buchanan. And this is just like the most winsome, sweet, like if this, if, if the idea of Sabbath as you're listening and you're carrying in baggage from your past sounds like sitting in the formal dressing room, sitting room, uh, you know, with starched collars and staring at each other in boredom, this is a beautiful picture. This, that is not what Sabbath is. And somebody has robbed you of a gift if that's what it sounds like to your soul. It is, ah, it is a gift. So. Thank you. Thank you very much, Lindsay. Well, friends, whether you're a student, retiree, parent of young, young children, somewhere in between, let us not live as if we're building a chicken coop and a strong wind, nailing stuff down as fast as we can. God invites us to rest and worship and enjoy and delight ourselves in him for the Lord of the Sabbath has come. The Lord of the Sabbath has come. He has died. He has risen. He is returning. And he brings us into his Sabbath rest right now and forever. Let's pray and we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And take a moment, if you would, just to maybe respond to the Lord. Take a moment to rest in him, perhaps most of all. to rest in his goodness toward you, to rest in his grace. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you. Thank you for how you're caring for us right now. Caring, I believe, for the weary. Caring for the exhausted. Caring for the fearful and fretful. Grant us even now through the bread and the cup a taste of your rest that we will enjoy forever with you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church East County. Please find us online at gracechurcheast.org if you would like to find out more about us.